Hello, welcome to the first ever Monday night uh, weekend review edition of Celtic Down Under. Uh, I'm, you may recognise me from the Wednesday show. Um, my name's Sean, I'll be hosting hopefully on a regular basis and joined by our two brand new contributors to Celtic Down Under this evening who both happen to be from Western Australia uh, along with myself. Uh, so I'm sure we'll find a little bit more about our origin stories right now. Um, Similar to me, may not actually be born and bred here, but let's uh, bounce over to Anthony first of all. Do you want to introduce yourself, Anthony? Thank you very much, Sean. Um, pleasure to be here. Um, uh, my name is Anthony McGuire. I came to WA in Australia back in 1990. Um, some of my fondest childhood memories are watching Celtic play in a Sunday night in a barbecue, Celtic versus Oco. Um, and uh, a retired footballer myself, gave it away a few years ago. I'm sure you two are probably trying to convince me to come back and play vets, but that's a story <laughs> for another time. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to get, get getting involved. Um, obviously, sorry, you guys were looking for a few more contributors, did a bit of podcasting back in the past, and yeah, really keen to to get going and a really good game on the weekend to start talking about. Sounds good. And Paul, what's your story? How did you get here? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Sean. So, yeah, Paul, uh, Paul Massey, originally from uh, deepest, darkest Aberdeenshire. Uh, luckily enough to grow up in a Celtic family. Um, I've been in Perth 10 years now. Uh, kind of came out here 13 or so years ago, backpacking, when ended up back in the UK for a bit. Got the opportunity to come back and jump to it. So, um, yeah, apart from uh, missing friends and family and, and the hoops, obviously, in the flesh, um, great, great choice to come out. Um, but yeah, I was a season ticket holder for a good number of years. Um, got the majority of uh, the Martin O'Neill years. Uh, I was travelling up from Leeds and Yorkshire back then. Um, so used to used to the journeys and maybe not um, maybe not coming all the way from here. But I was lucky enough to get over to Sydney for the recent games, um, mm-hmm. which was good. Um, but yeah, uh, just uh, these days, Celtic TV at all hours of the day and night um, and the joys of being um, and... Uh, Sky Sports is pretty average coverage. So, yeah, delighted to be here. Um, I should give a little shout out to my mate Dave. Um, he has been a long, longer time listener to the to the podcast than me, and he gave me a little nudge that you were looking for guys. And yeah. uh, suffice to say, um, I think he probably thinks that I've got plenty to say for myself. So, was potentially a good shout for this. So, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Thanks, Paul. And now for just anyone that's listening in another hemisphere, you may not be aware, but Western Australia is very, very hot. And when we come on to do these podcasts, we tend to have to switch off any fans and air conditioning. So if we get a bit more progressively red and sweaty as the show goes, it's not just excitement about the football. We are just literally boiling alive here, despite it being 8pm at night. Uh, I'm guessing you guys are the same. (laughs) I was just trying to say, sweaty is Douglas Ross trying to run the line on Saturday night, or yeah, we're allowed one swear per show, so let's not waste it on Douglas Ross by mentioning what that banner said. Okay, Uh, for those of you that uh, didn't see it, it said VR VAR decision. Douglas Ross is see you next Tuesday, is I think the polite way of saying it. Uh, there, There was a very funny old firm facts tweet today where it was the Partick Thistle th- uh, fans with a sign that said uh, Douglas Ross is a nincompoop or something along those lines <laughs> uh, very West Endy uh, so uh, before we get into the kind of minutiae of the game uh, what did you what was your kind of overall take on it uh, Paul first what would you what did you think did you get up first of all actually did you get up at one thirty, or did you watch it in the morning 
Yeah, I got up. I always get up. I can't like. I pretty much can't face um, the get, the get a job, Paul. I, I just <laughs> I just end up like uh, I go to bed early. I get up and so I was in bed like nine, ten, three hours up, and then another three hours, and then up gym work. So yeah, always a bit always a bit tired after those ones. The five thirties are probably the worst for us here in WA. Um, look, I, you know, all comments aside about that, um, I, I actually really enjoyed the game. Um, it's nice to see somebody come to our place and actually try and put up a bit of um, a fight. Um, it's a cup tie, so I guess nothing to lose, a bit of the pressure off from the league. Nobody's expecting anything of them. But, um, yeah, they said, obviously, they're not going to match us play for play, but they, you know, they did they did kind of match us up and try and press us high in the pitch. Um, they stuck Gogic on Kalmak, and that kind of worked for them for a long part of the game. He, he was by no means as instrumental as you would typically expect him to be. Um, and I definitely thought like somebody like Greg Taylor had to really step up and into midfield and be that extra man, which we've seen him do that a few times when uh, when the other lot tried to to do a bit of a high-pressing game against us at Ibrox. They, Taylor was Taylor was key to that. I think that's one of the reasons we struggled in that match is because he obviously got injured and, and had to go off and, and JJ was a bit of a shambles really out of position and just back from World Cup. So I think um, I think Taylor really stepped up. But it was, yeah, like I say, I think it was nice to see the bodies have a crack. Um, I, I think obviously the turning points, the penalty um, and, and ultimately the red card, which well, I'm sure we'll get into in a bit. But um, I feel like they probably would have tired anyway because if they play that high pressing game for that length of time, um, eventually that's going to take its toll. And we, you know, the class that we've got and just the ruthlessness obviously showed through. So I, I thought 5-1, whilst we were deserving of that in terms of our, our, our kind of ruthless finishing, um, was probably a bit harsh on them in terms of um, coming out and actually trying to have a go. But yeah, I, I think we, we all get fed up of the low block and 11 behind the ball. So I think when it when we've got a struggle for 65, 70 minutes to, to break that through, I think we should be we should be pleased that that's a bit more of a different test and it will stand us in good stead for, for the game coming up in the next couple of weeks, I would say. Yeah, they've been getting a lot of praise for that for because as Jack Amaka said in his press conference, teams do just sit in and have the low block. But uh, Samirin do tend to, uh, certainly in recent games this season anyway, have tend to be a bit more of a hard high press. And I don't know even... I think that's a Samirin thing so much as a Stephen Robinson thing because Motherwell used to do kind of the same back in the day. Uh, but what they would tend to, and what happened in the game where we lost 2 0 was when they had that two goal lead, uh, maybe after an hour or so, they did kind of drop into the low block at that point. Uh, but you're right, as their, their fitness levels were good, their tactics were good. Um, and I think it kind of told after 75 minutes. How did you see it, Anthony? Yeah, look, just. You know, sort of reiterate what yourself and Paul just said. Um, they definitely did start with the high press, the high intensity, but I think you're right, around that 60, 70 minute mark, they did sort of die a bit. And that and we sort of made our substitutes. Mm-hmm. Atate, um, O'Reilly, really we kicked up a gear. So we actually finished the game like an absolute freight train. Um, and and that's the risk reward of doing a high press against Celtic is that if you can jag a goal early and you've got something to hold on to, then the belief's there and you can keep going. But they were one 0 down, and then that the, the penalty and it was a penalty, but it was a penalty and a red card, and two um, 0 that sort of sucks the life out of you if you're if you're sort of dying on your feet by that point. And then you know we found the goals um, later on, sort of thing, made it you know put the icing on the cake. So. I think, like you say, entertaining game, good cup tie, played in good intensity. You know, again, the two teams having to go each other, 
Um, but the risk reward there is that you can end up getting scalped against Celtic if you do tire in those end stages where you see where teams in the league will go there and try and sit in and maybe go away with a 1 0, 2 0 loss, um, not expending much energy. But um, Samirin definitely um, put it, left it all on the park. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, on the, the red card that you, we've both, uh, you both talk, talked about for a little bit there, um, we can kind of merge that in, I guess, with the, the kind of VAR and how long that took. Um, it's just, uh, it seems to be every week, like, uh, pick your incident, uh, which is going to make VAR look bad this week. And, um, yeah, we can, yeah I, I'd be thinking the less, there's enough said about that already, to be honest, but we can touch on it a little bit. But on the actual uh, the penalty incident, it, I think when you watch it back, both players handball it. So I'm not like when they're rewatching it over and over. I think maybe it's because I think when you guys mentioned it on the side chat, the camera is not good. Like it's, I think it's maybe a 30 FPS shot or something. And they're trying I to think slow it's it down. A, is it a via play yeah. versus sky thing? Like, is it they've just got like worse cameras on the grounds? Because all the replays for all the games this week have weekend have been terrible. Like, yeah, they're, they're so grainy and it's missing frames. Like, it's like mm-hmm. I understand how the referee took so long to look at some of them because the quality was, was terrible. Sorry to interrupt you there, Sean. But no, it's okay. Yeah, it but um yeah, I think it's that it comes back to this double jeopardy thing for me. And I thought they tried to eliminate that from football where you, you, you concede a penalty and you get a red card. It's like a it's like double whammy. And I think they need to with the number of handballs now being given because of VAR, I think they're really gonna have to look at this rule in the off season because that's harsh. Um yes, it was a handball, but would a yellow card have sufficed? You know what I mean? Like it was point blank range as well. It wasn't as if like he had a lot of time to sort of react. So I don't know. I felt felt some of it. But I, if I was some months before, I'd be I'd be feeling pretty aggrieved. But like I say, the number of handball penalty VAR calls. I mean, I'm just I'm lost now. I I, I can't. I watch one and go, is that a penalty? Is it not a penalty? Like the rule needs looked at. And again, then you've got the referee interpreting it. You've got the VAR referee interpreting it. Then you've got the referee re-refereeing it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's madness. And it's just sucking life at the den for me sometimes. Some of them, I'm just scratching my head going like, how's that? That that penalty, that Bernabe one way back when, that one for me is still the one that I'm still, and there's obviously one of the Rangers ones later on that we'll get to. But yeah, for me, it's just, Mate, yeah, it's a shambles. I, I, I was going to say that's that's how ridiculous the handball situation's got that they're even giving penalties against Sevco at Ibrooks now. That's how bad it's got. We're at this sordid state of affairs we've got to that they can't even avoid giving penalties against Sevco at Ibrooks. What what is the world coming to? That guy's going to get kicked out of his lodge down there. Paul, Paul what was your take on the uh, the Taylor sending off? Uh, so yeah, look, I think similar to to Andy, I think that. You can give the ref a little bit of slack for for the time they take. I was in originally, and look, all decisions took too long, and it's a constant thing that they take too long. And I think you know, without labouring the point too much, and you know, we've we've talked about other sports, and and we'll maybe touch on a great result for Scotland right at the end. But um, the the rugby unions had it for years. Fair enough, they're much further along. But the two things they do really, really well is they've got the refs mic'd up. Uh, they explain every decision. Viewers can hear at home. It's up on the big screen. They're looking at it. On, they, the ref is literally being chatted to by... They, so they never leave the pitch. It's up on the big screen in the stadium. Okay, not all our stadiums have got that. So, you know, maybe some of the smaller stadiums, that's still going to be the case. But we've got the big screens. It could be up there. They could be literally looking up there, chatting to the uh, to the VR. 
that could be mic'd up, that could be coming through the tannoy, certainly could be everyone at home, um, and you'd have a clear idea of exactly what was going on. So going back to the, this one, I think you're right, it does hit both hands. I think the second hand it hits, you can't give that. It's a deflection off the first hand, and it hits him in its hands in a natural position by the side of it, by down by his side. But the first one, there's just there's not a great view on that, and they look at it from a few different angles and eventually find one where you pretty much, if you join the dots between the the few angles you've seen, you can go, yeah, well, his arm's out to the side. He is unnaturally making himself bigger. It does hit him clearly on that. Well, you think it's you think you can get it clear from the, 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 the few different angles you go, well, yeah, it's probably hit him right in the forearm and it is away from his body. And again, I you still can't 100% say, but I'm pretty sure that's going in without hitting him. Like, Abad has hit a decent strike towards goal um, and he's really the only person in that in the way at that time on the direction he's headed. So it's a hundred percent a penalty. I don't think I because I thought, why is it taking so long? But ultimately then he flashes the red card and I because I'm always I'm the same as you, Anthony, I think, well, it's a penalty and it's a yellow and we're moving on and it's done. But then they've obviously had a chat which we can't hear. Um and they've probably been tossing up, is it a yellow, is it a red? And I guess if you're saying you're stopping a goal goal scoring opportunity with a handball, then probably by the letter of the law. And I've looked up a few today, but for other things, <laughs> and, um, and and I haven't looked up the specifics of that because the handball, like you say, just it, it just bamboozles me at the moment, um, especially in terms of a lot of it comes out of interpretation, doesn't it? But yeah, so if he's if he's judged that to be, you know, a guaranteed goal scoring opportunity, then he's probably got to walk. But I agree with you, Anthony, that needs reviewed. And to me, it comes back to a deliberate handball at that point. So we've seen ones down the years, I was lucky enough to be in, I think I was in the ground the day that um, Carlos Queller palmed one over the bar and then we missed mm-hmm. the penalty. Um, so, and we still managed to win that match. So, um, yeah, uh, that's del- to me, that's a deliberate attempt. You save the ball. You've, you know, you, you can walk for that. That's pretty clear cut. But when you're sliding to try and block a challenge and your arm sort of gets out in the way, albeit you're making yourself bigger, it's probably a natural position for your body to fly with momentum. I think it's a little bit harsh that you get a red card for that. The only other thing I want to say on VAR before that I'm fed up hearing about it, talking about it, whatever. But the only thing I'd say is that there was only two games this weekend that had VAR in effect. It was the Celtic game and the Sevco game. So how do we feel from a sport and integrity point of view around that? Because I realize they don't have the like the lower league teams don't have the money to do it, and Livingston chose not to do it, even though they are a top like they're in the top division. Um, are we are we all right with that? Should it be the same for everybody? Or I mean, what's the answer there for that? Well, I think it is fair because you've already got a division between Premiership and Championship. So what's the difference really when you're in the Scottish Cup? You know, yeah. I think it's a bit of a farce to be honest. You know, like to you, you know, you're how can you? It's not even playing field, is it? Like you know, in, in one of those smaller games that VAR's either not an option or they've, if they've opted out of it, I've not got too much sympathy for them other than maybe they see the team that hasn't opted out not getting the benefit. If it's one of those smaller matches, then, you know, if, if a ref gets an absolute shock, and look, let's be honest, you could get a shocker wrong and then they, you might you still might not get it on VAR. But if we, <laughs> if we make an assumption that VAR gets most things right when they have a second look, which is a bit of a leap in the current environment. Um, but if we make that assumption, then there's, you know, you, you move forward from there and say, there could be a, a, a big mistake in a game by a referee or just a miss, just a, a genuine miss. Can't be everywhere at the same time. Um, and yeah, team potentially goes out of the cup on that. So I guess what? that one-off opportunity on, on games um, is probably a, a bigger a bigger impact on a cup game than, than just as you move through the league. 
What one of our commenters, Anthony's. Uh, chimed in with what you're saying about fairness and he's, he's mentioning that uh, the levels of incompetence uh, from Andrew Reid, uh, having varying levels of competence from referees is probably not fair either, uh, which I think is a bigger issue around uh, the question of whether we should have full-time refs or not, and I think that personally think that would make a bigger difference in VAR. Uh, and on the subject of the, the red card itself, uh, Mahesh and uh, both Mahesh and Peter have both mentioned that uh, technically, the rule is that that is a red card, which uh, 100% that is what the rule says. And whether we think that's right or not is, is a completely different matter. Uh, I'd like to kind of move on a little bit to talk about Celtic uh, and the performance uh, just for a moment, if that's okay. Uh, the, the, the part that kind of, well, there's a few things. So let's start with a couple of negatives out of the way. Okay, so we can talk about the kind of, after last week's game, the chat was Rio Tati's had a bad game against St. Johnson, David Turnbull's came off the bench and scored again. Uh, it was a pretty clear shout for Turnbull getting his chance, and he, and he got his chance. And I think he'll be disappointed. I think most of you would have watched him were disappointed uh, in Turnbull's performance. And to compound that for David Turnbull, uh, Rio Hatate came off the bench and was absolutely electric and scored a goal that, yeah, it was 5-1 in injury time. But if that goal he scores is a 1-0 winner in a cup semi-final, you're talking about it for 20, 30 years on. But that was an absolutely sensational goal. And Hitati really showed why he's in there ahead of Turnbull uh, on a more regular basis. Uh, what did you make of those two, uh, Anthony? So, um, basically, I, I said last week, I thought Turnbull might get a run against St. Johnson. And, and they didn't make that change then. So I kind of felt it was coming because... You've got to, Ange has got to try and balance the squad out to a certain degree. And unfortunately for Ange, we're only playing one game a week at the moment. So the tendency is always to pick your strongest 11. Um, so you say that at the moment, David Tumble's not in that. So David Tumble's in this unfortunate situation where he's not been playing much. He's getting minutes here off the bench, but he has to come in and absolutely hit the ground running because he knows if he doesn't, Rio attack, he's not going to have two bad games in a row, and he's come on and had, had an absolute stormer. Um, two points I want to make is that you, I think Paul mentioned earlier about uh, McGregor being man-marked a lot, and that to me is worth, well, if, if somebody sucked into Mark McGregor, then what's Tumble doing? What, why is he not come picking point. up space and mm-hmm. being free and being that triangle and that outball? Like, he just wasn't at the races there for me. And the difference here as well is that in previous weeks when Tumble's come off the bench, yes, he's popped up with a goal, but he's labored a bit. He's not really dominated when he's come off the bench. Whereas Atati, wow, like he came off the bench. All right, Simone retired, and I've said that already, but he really grabbed it in by the scruff of the net and really drove it forward. And he was involved. The pass for his goal, he knocked it out to Abad, and Abad knocked it back in. A couple of other goals, he was involved with the, pa- the, the passage of play leading up to the goals, um, particularly the one for O, which we'll touch on. But um, for me, um, yeah, David Tumble's blown a bit of a chance there. And I think we've been talking in the group chat that his contract's only 12 months at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to start putting some performances in. And it's tough because he's not had a lot of football and it, it's hard. But these, this is unfortunately what it's like playing for Celtic. You've just got to come straight off the bench and straight in and, and perform. Otherwise, it's sink or swim, cutthroat. Yep. What do you reckon, Paul? Is Turnbull going to turn around? Is he going to be out the, t- the club at some point? I think he's probably going. Like, look, this, the fact he's still there now suggests that there's there's either a mixture of Ange hasn't got in quite who the mix that he wants, which 
he's obviously quite hard to do in January, even though he's done some great business at this time of year. Um, so, and he sees him every day in training. So, you know, you maybe say that he's got a chance, but I, I think he's done. I think with a year left on his contract, he probably hasn't shown enough to show that there's further investment sort of worth doing. And, um, and like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have, I would, to be honest, I wouldn't have started him. To be honest, I'd have, I'd have stuck with um, either either Hattati or or uh, O'Reilly. Um, I think you know on their day, they're our best two in those in those positions. Moy's obviously on a great run at the minute, um, and and he I definitely think if it's Moy, he needs Hattati next to him. Um, I think Hattati is um, the, the 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 best option we've got in those eights, for want of a better phrase. Um, but yeah, Turnbull. You're right. If 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 McGregor, why 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 am I talking about uh, Greg Taylor driving into the midfield and and being the extra man and and being a bit of extra creation in there when Carmack gets gets a bit uh, squeezed? And and you're right. Why is it why is it not Turnbull? So um, I, I think he's tailor made for coming on for the last fifteen twenty minutes. Teams are tired. They've run the race, and you know we know he can strike a good ball from from outside the area, and he's he's picked up quite a lot of goals. And, and I think from on that basis, you know people have put two and two together and got, you know, and got five as far as I'm concerned, because he's on the times he started, he hasn't really shown the levels that the other three have. Um, and yeah, Moy took a little bit of time to get up and running, but it seems understandable given how a lot of football he played prior to that. But once he's got himself up to up to speed and coming off a really good World Cup, we can see the see the benefit we've had of him in there. So and we talked about this in the side chat. I think Taylor's time's up. We and sorry, Turnbull's time's up. We get we get what we can get for him with a year left on his contract this summer. Um and and we look to you know add another midfielder. Um if Tomoki's potentially going to challenge Cal and Cal can push up to eight as well. Um but then we probably need another, you know, all rounder that can either swap into that position or, or do we have an out and out eight that replaces Taylor? So you probably want two for every position, um, and if you do want that, then I think we're probably uh, best to, to to sort of rotate that through. And given Angie's record in the transfer market, you'd probably back him to find somebody uh, at at least even money for what you get for Taylor uh, Turnbull going out, or or potentially um, you maybe even make a little tiny profit on on one of his. Uh, Little, uh, little, t- you know, little signings from overseas and that, that, that fill a hole. So, yeah, that's, I, I, that's my view. I think, I think Turnbull is done. C- a couple of counterpoints there. Um, th- you mentioned Moy. So, is it maybe the case that also because Moy had a poor game as well, and certainly it's poorest since uh, the new year, I think, uh, is it maybe just that St. Mirren had a good system for negating our uh, two number 10s that are usually more influential in a game? And in terms of the the kind of squad dynamic, uh, what's going to happen if, say, Rio Hitati leaves for twenty million in the summer, and we've got Turnbull ticking down his contract? That kind of leaves double hole in the squad in that sense, and a big chunk of cash to invest in it, though. Fair, fair. But then you've also seen any time a player comes in, Andrew's generally, I mean, Alistair Johnson aside, he's generally reluctant to put someone in straight away. He likes them to learn the system. Uh, we can talk about Kyogo's injury just now, but when he went off, he doesn't bring on O, he brings on Abada. So I think That's there right. is a, a certain thing about Ange trusting players. And I know last year he was out of necessity bringing Kyogo and Starfelt off the plane and putting them on the pitch, but this year he's got more of a luxury that he doesn't really have to do that. Um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, that's a fair point, but I guess if, it's, if we're doing it in the summer, we've got a bit more time to bed them in 
over that period. So um, if you think about Hatati, again, there was a bit of um, requirement there because we're down to bare bones when those boys joined in January, but he mm-hmm. pretty much came in and hit the ground running. So um, I guess if we do need to add more than one, be it two, um, then, you, you know, you kind of put your trust in Ange to, to find somebody that can that can hit the ground running at, at that point in time. But I, I do think, like, Moy's obviously not the quickest and most mobile, but he's super quick up top and he's really technical. So he sort of makes up for his sort of pace and mobility side of things. Whereas Hatati is obviously a bit more all action. And I think Turnbull can be a bit languid as well. So maybe they're just not a great combo together. Mm-hmm. Just on the, sorry, uh, Anthony, I'll chuck it to you in yeah, a second. Yeah. On the, just on the Kyogo injury, there's just a lot of... Uh, dynamics around that to take in. Uh, there's one, you know, uh, Maeda goes up front when Kyogo gets injured, so that's one thing. O comes off the bench later, opens his scoring, first goal for Celtic. Uh, we've also got that Jakimakis just this week signed for another team. And we were all saying before he left, well, we, it's fine, he can go, but what if Kyogo gets injured? And then the next game, Kyogo gets injured. So uh, the fourth thing that I would say to think, consider when t- assessing this whole situation is when Kyogo injured that same shoulder earlier in the season, I don't believe he missed a game. I think he was back for the next game. Anthony, is that right? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, I think I think I think at the, at the most, I don't know if I've had a midweek game he maybe missed and then he was back for the following weekend, maybe. Um, but it is a concern. Um, this was the 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 doomsday scenario for, for us at the moment is if Kyogre gets injured, so he's really the one player that we don't have an out-and-out replacement for at this moment in time, and just trying to build O up. Um, he said so. He says, look, we're just, uh, the sports scientists are saying he drip feed him, get him in like bit by bit by bit. So he's definitely not ready to start as yet. So obviously that's why he went with Maeda down the middle and Abada out wide, and and within two minutes we scored. So and Maeda did actually really really well to score that goal. I mean. The ball from Abada into um, Moy was 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 a brilliant ball in. Moy actually got the wrong side of the defender. It was probably the one defensive error that Submern made that half, um, and we we capitalised on it. And Maeda made a very good run across the defender to put the ball in the back of the net. And any sort of doubts, questions around his touch and finish, like he, he he buried that one. It was a, a really really well worked goal. Um, so. Yeah, there was a bit of a. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> when uh, when Joe went off, I'm going, "Oh, this is like this is a nightmare." Because like you know, big Giacomacchus is just on the plane away to America. So, I think if we were in Europe, I think if we were playing twice a week, I don't think Gigi was on that plane. I think he was staying until the summer. But I think and just thinking, O's in the building. We're playing one game a week. Worst case scenario, Maeda can sort in there. Hastabanovic can sort of work something out in there. So. I think we'll get by this time, but it is just a reminder that at the moment, you know, certain positions are still, we say we've got two players for a position, but I think up top center forward position is that one position where we are vulnerable. Flip side to that, oh, I love his first touch. His con- close control absolutely craps all over um, Giacomacchus. Like he just mm-hmm. seems to be able to, the ball just sticks to him like glue. Um, he drew that foul for the, the for Considine against um, St. Johnson. Drew the drew the foul on the red card there. Um, he's 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 one touch goal. I mean that's a poacher's instinct right there. So if he can give us everything that Gigi gave us on top of that, better close control, I think we're onto a winner. The early days, I know, but I I just think that um, yeah, definitely one. And he's probably got one of the best chance for a Celtic player. In a Give very long time. Go on, go on, Anthony. No, 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 I can't sing, so I'm definitely not cool. going to do that. <laughs> no, 
Is there anybody going to sing it? I'm not going to do that. Is it? Oh, 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 that song. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. I don't know the name of the song. What's the? the I know seven Seven. It's a white white flags. It white. I thought it was original. That's not original. Okay. Uh, so, Paul, what do you reckon? Uh, make it a striker situation. Does Maeda start up front against Aberdeen? Or, you know, do we rest Kyogo? Does all get his chance? What do you think? Yeah, look, it's funny, funny enough. Um, obviously, you worry about Kyogo being, being injured long term. But in a funny kind of way, you wouldn't. You wouldn't start with the three in that position if, unless you were forced to. You'd always start with Kyogo. But with them off, it actually allowed um, Jota to play in his preferred position. Abada has had not the most game time lately and, you know, previously has been on fire for us. Um, and so, and again, like you wouldn't say he has had his best game or his best, but he's had two key contributions, right? He plays that great pass down the line we just touched on. And then he's the one sneaking in at the back post or ghosting in at the back post, if you like football tweets like me. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's turning in and he's hitting the shot and he's getting a penalty and a red card for it. So I, a lot of fans have been have been frustrated with Abada over his period because he sort of, he's a bit of an enigma. So, you know, a lot of times you don't see much from him. He's not really in the game completely. His first touch sometimes isn't the greatest, um, but he can pop out of nowhere and score goals, as as Barisic, amongst others, knows to his cost more than once. So I think he's he's a player, and this is, this is I think, one of our biggest challenges is isn't everyone else. It's Ange balancing the squad. And I know he's, he's on record more than once saying it's not his job to keep players happy. Um, he's not going to go and take flowers to their wives and stuff like that. Some of the quotes is, are, have been brilliant lately, but but there is a, a there is a broader point to that, and, and I take his point right. It's up to players to force their position, to force themselves into the plan and and become um, a, a pick and get game time that they hopefully are comfortable with. But there's always going to be players that that want to play in a side like ours and want to win trophies and want to get into the Champions League, and then there are going to be others that go. Well, I'd rather play 90 minutes every week or close to it and potentially go and do that in a smaller stadium and, and, and maybe at a you know, better league in theory um, and get paid more money. Um, so I think that is a challenge. And as Celtic fans, we're always quick to go, well, you play in front of 60,000, you win trophies, uh, you're in the Champions League or you should be most seasons. Um, where else would you want to go? Because we, want, we don't want to be anywhere else. But... If you're a player with a relatively short career, you are going to weigh up things with like wages and game time. Um, I saw, and this is a little bit off topic, but I saw Alan Shearer was saying that um, Harry Kane's records are his medals, which I, I think only somebody like Alan Shearer, who didn't win any medals, could come out with a quote <laughs> like that. But um, I found that a bit of a strange one. But it is a point that not. Not every player is 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 going to be as invested in Celtic as we all are. So, um, but back to the the striking lineup, I think Mieta with his work rate is going to cause. He's he's not as deft and his finishing is probably not quite as good as Kyogo's. But his work rate alone will terrify defenses. Um, and and getting that balance on the on the wide positions potentially, um makes up for the for the miss of Kyogo a lot of the time. So um I'm not too concerned. Um but yeah if if Kyogo's hundred percent fit I'd play him in the next match. If there's any sort of slight doubt I'd wrap him in cotton bowl for the cup final. 
and um, mm-hmm. take your pick. Haksibanovic, if he's showing it in training, could do with a, a run. Um, but if we went with the three that finished, I'd be quite happy with that too. Now, I know he, he, you were mentioning uh, the wingers there, and Abad, I thought, was sensational for the first two goals, that threw ball for the first one, and then uh, he basically should have scored the second one, if not for defenders chucking their arms out. Uh, but on the, the opposite wing, you're talking about Jota being on his preferred side. And the Jota got some rough treatment at the weekend. At one point, he showed his ripped sock to the referee who just kind of shrugged. Uh, and we were again, and that's why Kyogo went off injured as well. He got fouled and was no free kick given. I, I thought the ref was kind of letting a few slide that shouldn't have been sliding. Um, one thing, after what's happened with Turnbull and Hatati, which has started a fire in the comments at the moment between uh, Mahesh, who's backing up Turnbull with stats and everyone else is just saying we just prefer the look of Hatati, which is fair and valid. Uh, and a lot of comments from Strange Love that we can't really put up because he's talking about Douglas Ross in an explicit manner. Um, but yeah, uh, on the subject of Jota and based on what's happened with Turnbull and Hatati this week, I would be interested to see Jota bench for the Aberdeen game and bring in maybe Haxibanovic, just so I can see Jota come back in with a point to prove in the cup final. Jot is a bit of a tricky one at the moment because he is more of a left winger than a right winger. Um, Maeda has to play on the left. But I guess the question here is, if Maeda plays down the middle against Aberdeen, then you would have Jota on the left and then Abada or another on the right. I think it's one of those ones, it's a balancing act, and it's like, well, is your best team with Maeda on fire at the moment, having him on the left and his work right, and and having sacrificed that by having Jota on the right? Um, or do you say, actually, Jota, sorry, but Maeda's keeping you out of your position by play a badder. But to be fair, that's a badder's first real decent performance in a little while as well. So it's hot and cold. Um, O'Reilly's been cold. I think Abada up until the weekend's been cold. Um, Jota's actually starting to, I felt starting to warm up again. I thought he'd had a couple of good games in the lead up to the one on the weekend. Um, and I think that's, again, this comes back to this Ange thing. It's like keeping the engine running. It's just finding the right balance, the right mix, trying to keep everyone ticking along so that mm-hmm. he can make a change and that player comes in and contributes. And that's where Tumble didn't do that. Um, but that's, it's not so much keeping people happy so much as keeping the squad rotated around enough so that if he needs to call on someone they're ready to go and part of that is game time and it's hard as i say we're only playing one game a week at the moment so it doesn't really necessarily answer your question there sean but um so the best <laughs> the best that i can do at the moment yeah i guess the question was do we think jota can is going to rip it up in the cup final is he yeah i guess you kind of touch on it the form paul jota what do you reckon yeah, look, more to come. I, I agree. Yeah, there is more to come. I agree with Anthony. The, the last couple of weeks, he's he's looked on a game where the flicks and tricks have been out, and he's been he's been play, unplayable at times. Um, he obviously took some rough treatment, as quite a few of our players did. And look, I, I guess that's the flip with with Simonin. Yeah, they've got a fair amount of work in, and some of their players shone actually. But in amongst that, there was some pretty heavy challenges that were were allowed to to go. And once you let a few go, then then you usually get a few more and and. I guess that refs want to keep their yellow cards in the pockets, so they let, you know, it doesn't get out of hand. But then equally, then then sort of you, you let you let a few things go, and, and players don't get the protection that they that, that they deserve. Um, yeah, he definitely got caught. There was a massive hole in his sock. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think um, is is that balancing act? Because one of the things we touched on there, if you think about it, is if 
because players are blowing hot and cold or coming up to a game or, or maybe might be off it for a game, that's the benefit of the squad that we've got um, and, and the size of the squad and the depth of the squad. And I agree, yeah, look, you know, potentially isn't as, as, you know, fully has the depth that we maybe would want or think, but comparatively to everybody else we're up against, it definitely has. Um, and, and you know, we're in the fortunate position that if somebody isn't quite on it for a, for a given game, then we can usually rotate somebody else in that, that is going to, increase the, the tempo and, and bring in a performance. And we saw that again today. Turnbull didn't play, um, or in that game at the weekend, Turnbull didn't play, play great. And, and Hatati and O'Reilly both um, desperate to get involved and, and play well. Abada, the same. Um, so, yeah, look, I think I think I, you want, obviously, your best, in theory, your best players playing and um, at the top of the game in each match. But I think we should probably acknowledge that that isn't always going to happen, but we're lucky we've got the depth that we have. I saw a question earlier, a comment earlier on, is, is five subs fair? Isn't it? Yeah, it's well, everyone, everyone agreed to it, so... Yeah, and um, it's, it's, it's definitely an advantage for the clubs with more money and bigger squads. Of course it is. Um, but but it's certainly to, to our advantage if, if the odd player isn't having their best game because you can you can bring in somebody else. And just on an ongoing basis, you've got that pressure um, in the squad, knowing that you know, there's not many players in that squad currently that, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, CCV and one or two others, um, Cal, um, Greg Taylor, there's not, but there's not too many that are, are guaranteed a shot. You know, most of them, there's a little bit of pressure on them. If they don't really play then then somebody else will want to take that shot from them. Yeah. Just... When I, when I, with the score of 5-1 and when you see your centre-back gets man in a match in a game where you've won 5-1 you've not kept the clean sheet you've scored five goals and your centre-back gets man in a match you're like right what kind of happened in this game so let's let's parse that out why was Carter Vickers the man in a match so obviously he's the one that he blocks was that unbelievable block because most of the time when somebody's opening up to take a shot that any defender in the world is going to go to block the ball but what Carter Vickers does instead is he puts his body in the spot that Joe Hart can't cover. And, he, and does, Joe Hart, I don't think, is getting that. And he's blocked yeah, over the crossbar with that. So, yeah, but that one thing, is that why he got man in match? Was it just because he's been furious throughout? What do you reckon, Anthony? Well, funny you should say that block, because the week before when St. Johnson scored, he did actually try and put the block in, and it just seemed to swerve around him some. I don't know how it happened, but it sort of swerved around him. So he was nearly on for the block there as well. So he does it really, really well. And you're right, I think Joe Hart would have been struggling to get to that one. There's a couple of times just where slack back passes and things like that, where he really had to sort of put a sliding challenge in and really sort of... um, himself about a couple of good tackles I, I recall yeah and a couple of good headers and things as well so just ccv being ccv but it was probably just a little bit above his usual best which is saying something um i think the back four actually played really well um they, they actually had to deal with a bit of um kurt's main made a nuisance of himself i think ccv really handled him i think that's the first time i've seen a celtic center defender really battle a big center forward and really like look come off best sort of thing because you know biatas and players the years gone by iron that they they sometimes got bullied quite a lot and i have julian to extent sometimes as well so i think he really and he's not that tall he's actually only sort of like five eleven six foot he's not tall for yeah. a defender so he really does put himself about so i think well deserved um i'm one concern with starfield i I think Staffield gets a lot of pelters from the Celtic supporters. I think he is actually a very good defender, and I think he does a lot of the dirty work 
and really sort of shores things up. And the partnership between him and CCB can't be underestimated. But that is the second time he's been caught for a penalty like that with yep. a blindside run. And he needs to work on that. He needs to be more aware of what's around him. Um, because just holding your hands up going, oh, no, I've given away a penalty. Well, thankfully, it didn't matter on the weekend. But if that's against Sevco in a couple of weeks in a cup final, that could be very costly. So he's just going to have to have his wits about him at all times. But that I just hope that's not a pattern because you know two doesn't twice doesn't make it a pattern. But um, for me, that was a concern. Lastly, Johnson and Taylor were solid. I think Johnson's slowly getting into the whole inverted fullback thing. I think he's some of his past and still a little bit limited at times. But defensively, he's sound. He loves a tackle. He really gets stuck in. So there's no no problem with his work ethic there. Taylor was was back into sort of his best, some of his better form. Like he, he, when he got that injury, he was probably out of it for a couple of weeks, but he's sort of back on track now. So back four was good. But I just like I say that's that one concern of a Starfelt for that penalty. But yeah. Everyone that listens to this show knows how I feel about Starfelt. And I'll be fully objective about it. The penalty that he gives away and the one against Hearts you're talking about, it doesn't happen if he's left-footed. The problem is he's leading with his right foot. Both of those were coming in on the this the right-hand wing. So he's led with the wrong foot, and that's why the, the strikers come across it. Uh, and there was a one point uh, about putting in my notes, 23 minutes in, where it was absolutely painful because Carter Vickers plays the ball across them. It's just a little bit away from him. But he has to take like three touches and turn the the long way around to get the ball at his feet to play a pass. Whereas if that's Kobayashi, it's already on his left foot and it's out wide to Greg Taylor. So I don't like I want I want Starfelt in the team for the rest of the season because I don't think you change a centre back pairing at this point in the season. But for next season I want to see Kobayashi in there. Paul? Yeah, it's absolutely you're absolutely spot on. It's because he's he's playing out of position, right? He's he's on the odd occasion where he's covered when Carter Vickers hasn't played, which I think might only be once or twice, he's played on the right and he actually looks much more comfortable because he's naturally like he's not particularly both footed. He's he's making a fist of it with the left, but he, he regularly looks uncomfortable trying to play that pass out to Taylor or whoever else is dropping deep, Jot or whoever else. So yeah, you're spot on. It, it's because he's he's still not a natural left-sided defender. Um, he is the best option we've got there, and we've tried a few. He's seen off Welsh, he's seen off Jens. Um, Kobe Ash is clearly not ready, um, although he has looked tidy enough on, on the shot um, of a few little occasions we've seen him. Um, you're right, he does the dirty work. He, you know, he, he wins his headers, he puts blocks in, um, but he he does just have that the, the odd lapse, and, and it's absolutely because he's playing out of position. And I think, you know, they'll target him. They'll target him in the cup final. Um and and we just hope that, that we've got enough about us going in the other direction that, that we've given them more headaches than than that. But I think a bit like playing in goals for like playing in the centre back is, is a bit of a thankless task because you're not really asked to do very much. Other than well, Angie's asking you to play a lot play out a lot, but you're not actually asked to do that much defending. Um so you know that you've got a bit like a keeper who doesn't do very much for 95 minutes and needs to pull out a save light on you've got to have that sharpness throughout the period and and he's just shown a couple of little lapses um but yeah i think he's very much still our, our first pick there um and and if you look at the records and again um, you know we can overestimate stats but that you know they're becoming more in the game because it's for a good reason the record of them i think i don't think they've have they lost a game as a as a partnership i don't think uh not domestically domestically yeah so, uh, and I don't, and I don't think they played together in this, the Champions League this year. I don't think because yeah. Jens played, Jens played every game. So I'd say not yeah. in the Champions League this year. Yeah. Um, don't know about last year, but yeah, certainly not. 
Um, okay, so we've covered literally every position in the team, uh, which was not really the intention, but it just kind of came out naturally. Uh, we can quickly touch, as it was Cup weekend, well, obviously the other results are going to affect who we could be getting in the next round, so we'll just have a quick run-through of um, some of the other goings-on. Uh, Sevco in the Glasgow derby, uh, what would you say, Partick Thistle is the third biggest team in Glasgow now, just behind Queen's Park, I'm not sure how you measure it, uh, if you're going with history and uh, age, uh, but yeah, Sevco conceded their first domestic penalty in 390 days, so last January was the last time they conceded a penalty, which is interesting, uh, and then I don't know how much you guys seen of this uh, goal, Cheat goal and then uh, letting Partick Thistle score a goal. Uh, it was quite a situation, to be honest. For anyone that's not seen it, Malik Tillman's down in the ground uh, pretending he's injured. And Sevco put the ball out. Partick Thistle go to give them it back. But Malik Tillman, who was suddenly not injured anymore, uh, instead of letting the guy kick the ball back, takes it off him, gets one on one with the keeper and goes around him and scores. So, whole melee ensues. Malik Tillman got knocked over, all sorts of stuff going on and in the end this will get allowed to walk up and score with everyone on board except for maybe Alan McGregor who tries to block it and then changes his mind and lets the guy score. A bit of a weird, weird going on. I mean where, where do you stand on this as can a referee, should a referee do something? Was was it the right thing that happened? Um, where does sportsmanship and rules clash on this one? Anthony, what do you reckon? Uh, to coin a phrase from a BBC reporter, uh, it was bonkers um, because mm-hmm. that was just some of the most mental footage you've ever seen in your life. So Tillman's obviously, I don't know if he didn't know, but he did turn around and look at the referee and the referee can't blow for anything because technically no, no rules have been broken. It's a sportsmanship thing. He's just carried on going, well, I'm right store here. This was to put Rangers 2-1 up, by the way. They, are, they were 1-0 down, so they can see the penalty early and managed to get one back. So this was to put them in front. So it wasn't like it was 3-4-0 and they were cruising. They needed they needed to store. So then I th- they sort of went up the park. You know, it was decided that um, Partick would be allowed to go back up the park and store. And Alan would make an absolute tip of himself, like, you know, getting in the way. The fans are booing. So they're booing sportsmanship. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like they, apparently, apparently, everyone on Twitter thinks there was nothing wrong with Tillman's goal, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm wrong. But admittedly, the part of this boy took a heavy touch, a heavy, heavy touch. Oh, was However, touch. he was not expecting someone to be buzzing right up his backside to take the ball off him. So it's just one of those things. I mean, you think of the the one way Ireland and France and Thierry Henry and stuff like that. It's just. It's just one of these things. I think the right decision was made and it balanced it out and it, there's no controversy there. Like, you know, Rangers end up winning 3-2 just, which seems to be their MO at the moment. It seems to be winning by a goal just. So I don't know how much longer that's going to go on for. And you know, some of the, the, the Sevco fans are already starting to bay for Bill's uh, blood. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But um, they've managed to scrape through uh, to the next round. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> I think that sums it up. And obviously there was a, a few other moments in the match as well. Paul, I don't know if you've seen, um, there was the, well, the penalty, which was, I actually thought it was technically correct, but some people are arguing that because the contact started outside the box, the rule is if it carries on into the box. So they did get their penalty. And then the, the Jags goalkeeper just stood up to it, which was interesting as well. Uh, but then there was one that was not widely shown, which was... Uh, 
I think it was Mallet Tillman, this rugby mm. tackle on a guy off the ball. <laughs> and it was in the yeah. box as well. Just nothing. No VAR review, nothing. I don't know if you've seen it either. First, first, first two minutes of the game. Yeah. Was yeah. it? I, well, I, I've seen it in a snapshot. I didn't know it was at that point in the game, Anthony, which is probably mm. why it wasn't looked at or picked up. Um, basically, a side suplex, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. in, the, in the inside the corner, of, just inside the top corner of the box. So, yeah, it's. Look, I think if we go back, like, if we've. We've exhausted, like we've all exhausted ourselves on VAR, but I think the overarching thing that most people, uh, most you know, fair-minded fans want from VAR and from referees, even before we had VAR, is consistency. And you know, there's clearly an incident there worth looking at, but the, you know, the referees missed it. You know, fair enough. We've said before, sometimes they've not got the best view. Um, they can't see everything. They're not eyes in the back of their head. I can't remember exactly where the, the ref was stood on this one, but that's what VAR's for, right? That the VAR's got the time to quickly have a look and if we again if we touch on rugby one of the great things about rugby is that their VAR has done a bunch of the looking long before the ref ever gets around to having to review it and is actually saying to the ref and a perfect example from Scotland game at the weekend the ref goes held up no try and the the VAR goes I've got another angle for you Mm. and he shows the other angle and there's clearly contact with the ball on the deck he gives the try immediately. So I just think VAR isn't doing enough in terms of, and it isn't VAR, it's a bloke in a studio that isn't doing enough to to review the footage. And I don't know whether that's uh, just pig-minded, you know, pig-headedness or poor quality, or they haven't got the tech quick enough. Um, you know, there's a lot we don't know about what's going on here. And there's constantly this chat about investment. Um, but I think we should be, you know, the, the, we should be better at this. And, and, I think there's also been some public chat about do we have VAR specific referees that that aren't necessarily maybe they're ex referees they're not fit enough to run around football parks anymore mm-hmm. in the professional game but they've got a ton of experience now maybe not Scottish refs because we've seen Stuart Dougal guarantee us that it was definitely something and you know yeah. it's overturned on it it's definitely a red card and it's overturned on appeal so you know I don't know what the answer is in Scotland but realistically that. We need to get better at VAR and we need to be quick. I guess the flip of that is is you look down south and they're still having debacles every single week and they've had it longer than us and they've got unlimited money. So I don't know yeah. what that tells you. Yeah, I think you're right. We'd be better off with a, a video technician with a PDF of the rule book than the referees try to operate the video. Um, but just to move on from VAR, because we're cut, we kind of are running out of time. Uh, it was, there were some other games at the weekend in the cup. Uh, there was two kind of upsets. Um, I'm just going to brush over them a little bit. Inverness, who had actually got through on a technicality because Queen's Park had fielded an ineligible player then went to Livingston and won 3-0 at Livingston after getting through on a technicality, which was pretty wild as a result, if you ask me. Uh, and then Rafe Ro- uh, Rovers, uh, easy for you to say, uh, upset Motherwell. I don't know if you, again, don't know if you call it an upset because Rafe Rovers are in a pretty good form and Motherwell are frankly rank. And, and the upshot of that game and, interestingly, Party Thistle, which was a little more surprising, was it? Jamie Hamill of Motherwell and Ian McCall were both sacked like within an hour or two of the game being finished. They didn't even get to do their media duties. Uh, oh, no, sorry, Ian McCall did, but Jamie Hamill didn't. He was at the, the stadium as well, which we saw happen to Jim Goodwin two weeks ago as well. Uh, is that, do we think that's okay for like chairman to do that, to be at the game and with a P45 before like <laughs> the, the team's even back in the coach? Is that the right thing to do? What do you think, I- Anthony? 
I have an issue with this because obviously Motherwell's form has been dreadful for a very long time. I think I'd alert they won like, what, six or seven games last season? For the whole of 2022, the whole calendar year, they won seven games. It's just, yeah, think, it's terrible. Yeah. It's, 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 it's dreadful. So, I mean, it's not like it was a massive shock. And all right, Wraith Rovers beat them on the weekend. But what's the incoming manager supposed to do? Like, the, the, the transfer window is shut. You've got somebody come in, what, you're hoping for a new manager bounce to, to get you out the, the, the proverbial crap out to get you off the bottom of the table. Um, it's going to be a real crapshoot between them and Dundee United because they're doing the darndest to shoot themselves in the foot as well. They let Tony Watt go. They let their other centre forward, uh, Nicky Clark, go as well to opposition teams in the same league. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, talk about making it hard for yourself. But I think Motherwell are in danger. I really think they are going to go down. Um, they, they are showing absolutely no signs at the moment. And if something happens to Kevin Vanderveen, they're finished. He is literally mm-hmm. the, the talisman. He's the one guy that he almost dug them out of a hole against Wraith Rovers. But something happens to him, they're done. Uh, and I can't see a Yogi Hughes or whoever gets the job, because it's going to be somebody like that, how they're going to dig them out of a hole now to the end of the season. And the only way it's going to happen is if another team is worse. And I must admit, Dundee United vs. Kilmarnock, that was dour watching. I watched the five minutes of highlights. Highlights is a very, very kind description for that because that was a tough watch. Paul, what do you reckon? About these managers getting sacked at the end of games? Is it is it etiquette? Is it poor? It's a bit knee-jerk. Like, it's it just, we're in a knee-jerk world. You know, that everything's knee-jerk. Everything's, you know, instant instant reaction, social media, etc. etc. I look I think, you know, you can just just a little bit of class. Just let them see their media duties out and have a sit down with them in the morning and say, look, you know, it's done. I, I this this whole I, I haven't seen the footage actually of Goodwin, but I heard that it was, you know, real awkward as he was sort of exiting the pitch and Jim Goodwin, all of yeah. that. And he pretty much knew he was going you know like I think I think, you know, Football monitoring boards um, uh, should be a little bit um, like you know. St- stand by the courage of your own convictions. At the end of the day, you're appointing these people. You must be having regular sit downs with these um, managers and, and management teams, and, and sort of tracking progress and sort of having a bit of dialogue. And, and surely there's surely there's some discussion on an ongoing basis about what is and isn't going to be acceptable and roughly where that line in the sand is. So I don't think you need to. I don't think there's. I don't know. I'm not sure there was, you know, a, a, a baying crowd outside these grounds expecting the manager to be gone immediately um, on the back of a, a, a poor cup result. Um, I just, I just think it could be done the next day. So. On the on the Jim Good, on the Jim Good one, Jim Goodwin one though, he should have went. He should have. I should have gone long before then, to be honest. But yeah, yeah the Davo the Davo the result should be in the end of him there. Like I'm not saying immediately after that, but that week no, he should have went because that this game he was on a high into nothing. He was on a high yeah. into nothing. It's as simple as that. And, so, and and yeah, look, if you you know if you once you back him after Davo, then <laughs> why are you rushing it the immediate mid ten minutes after he's lost the game, like? You've made Precisely. you've made that you've made that poor decision. You know, you're now then trying to cover yourself a bit by by immediately getting them out the door. So there's a bit of PR and a bit of spin there. You're absolutely spot on. Nobody should have survived that Darvel result. And and look, the the seeds for his demise were, I think, that that game against us when he when he refused to come and try and have a go at home or at least put up some kind of attempt to get the points um, and just try to sit, sit in and, and, and hope he could make something on the break or, or get a draw at best. So um, it, it's a weird one, that, because 
you know, he did a good job at St. Mirren um, and, and got some good results and had them playing above themselves. And then he goes to Pataudry, where obviously there's been problems there for years. It's my neck of the woods. So I've, I've, I've seen a lot of that up close. Um, but Aberdeen fans are absolutely sick and embarrassed about what's going on there. And I think Cormac's become like a bit of a false don. You know, he came in and, you know, there was... There was cash, but then there was also like naming training grounds after himself. And, you know, is he there for the right reasons? There's a bit of ego about the, the guy. So, um, we, you know, we could probably talk about other teams in the league, you know, disasters for, for, for hours. But, um, uh, yeah, like, Aber- you know, it sounds like, the, well, there's a heavy rumour it looks like Lenny might end up at Aberdeen and they're waiting for this April thing to pass for the tax year so that they can appoint him. you interested to see if that happens. Um you know, there's there's not a lot of love for either Celtic or Rangers up there. So um, we were probably the more tolerable of the two um, <laughs> going back a number of years for a number of reasons. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Aberdeen's a bit of a poison, poison chalice, if you ask me. Well, I have to say, the, Jim Goodwin staying in after Darville was, I, I was looking forward, I actually went out my way to find that Aberdeen Hibs game to watch it. Uh, so it did create a bit of box office, whereas if it was Barry Robson then as the caretaker, I probably wouldn't have bothered. Um, but on the kind of subject of uh, shambolic SPFL teams, we've got the Scottish Cup round draw, uh, quarter-final draw tonight, and there will be four uh, non-premiership teams out of the eight. So half of the teams will be premiership, half non. So we've got uh, us, Sevco, Hearts, um, to totally drawn a blank, and I've looked up a run sheet, uh, Kilmarnock are the other oh, top-flight team. Uh, then you've got Inverness Cali Thistle who knocked out Levy. You've got Wraith Rovers, Air United, and one of Darvo or Falkirk. So, some of the comments coming in here. Uh, I'll say some of the comments. It's Michael Ross twice, I've just noticed. Uh, draw later today, and he wants uh, Sevco at Celtic Park. And I have to confess, before I came on tonight, and I was thinking about this as a, a topic of discussion, I was actually thinking I would like to get them at this moment as well. What do you guys reckon? Who do you want in the next round? I'm not bothered. I, 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 you know, I take it as it comes. Obviously, you want a home tie. I mean, I think that's the critical thing here because there's still a few extra tough parts in the in the competition. I think if I'm, if I'm you remember uh, correctly, so Kilmarnock, Marnock, yeah, yeah. So you don't you don't really want to be playing in one of those, um, and you probably don't want to be going to Mordor if you can help it. But if you have mm-hmm. to, so 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 be it. But um, I mean, I don't think Celtic should be fearing anybody. So bring it on. I'd, I'd, I'd have a preference, whatever. But as, as long as it's not in a plastic part, that's my one caveat. Mm-hmm. Paul. Similarly, I was gonna, I was gonna, Anthony beat me to it in terms of I was gonna say just a whole time, just a whole time. Yeah. Uh, oh look, um, you know, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm saying, I couldn't care less, really. Um, you avoid the plastic. You, sod's loss. I I would say if you're if you're a skeptic, you're probably going to have an away tie at either Killy or Hearts. Um, would be typical. I would expect. But um, look on form. Um, we should be we should be given given anyone a, a bit of a, a bit of a run. So yeah, I'm not overly concerned. We'll see. Um, I, I, th- I think with the romance of the cup, we could expect if Darvel win tonight, we could expect to be seeing them at Celtic Park. Um, given that, 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 that'd be great. We, you know, I guess the alternative is they, they get to pull a home tie, and then presumably yeah. it would need to be moved somewhere. Um, yeah, but it's still, it, it probably wouldn't. You know, they might swap it to us just for the cash, I guess. But um, or they might find somewhere a little bit closer to home that will get a biggish crowd, but not on our own park. So yeah, which would be Kilmarnock on the plastic pitch. 
That's <laughs> what, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> if it's Darvel, you know, it's great for the, it is great for the, the, the sort of romance of the cup, but you know, obviously I wouldn't expect another another Aberdeen result on that one. Yeah, yeah. We just we we just like I don't know about you guys, but I just love having that cup final at the end of the season. When whether you've won or lost the league, just having that cup final as your kind of final uh, party of the season uh, is always really good. Uh, Mahesh is asking in the comments uh, if it's seeded. Uh, there's not in the Scottish Cup. No, there's no seeding at any stage, as far as I'm aware, unless it's in the earlier rounds that don't involve the top flight teams. I believe there is some seeding at some point in the League Cup. But I'm not 100 percent in that one, so I'd need to kind of think. I think the league, the, the league cup. I think teams that are in Europe get a pass. Mm-hmm. Get a pass. Then, is that yeah. a group thing? Is that, is that a group thing? They the do league groups cup? at the start. Yeah, yeah. the groups the, are seeded. Yeah, the groups are definitely seeded. Mm. I know that, but I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I don't know about the knockout because there's only four rounds to get to the league cup final now, and because of the World Cup, we're playing it in February. But I quite liked it being in November and I hope it's back there next year because it is good to have that kind of first half of the season trophy. Anyway, we're, we're over an hour now, so I'm going to uh, wrap up. I've uh, got a couple of messages welcoming you guys on. From One from John G. Great to have you guys. Part of CDU. And from Jared, I'm assuming is listening. Welcome, Paul and Anthony. So hope you enjoyed your first show, guys. Uh, if you'd like to have any farewell messages, tell us what you've got planned for this week. Any good shows you're watching on Netflix? What's happening, Anthony? I've I've just got two final thoughts just very quickly. Um, one, sure. if you haven't watched it already, um, there's a good video on Celtic TV between Greg Taylor and Alistair Johnson doing mm-hmm. Scottish signs. So it's from Burns Supper um, week at week. So you can look it up. It's really, really good laugh. It goes for about 10 minutes and they slag off some of their teammates. And that's, so that's quite funny and a really good watch. Um, and the other thing is uh, sectarian scumbag uh, Kyle Lafferty has left the SPFL. He's off to Linfield. And Saw that. The Daily, the, Daily, the Daily Ranger has said it was a no-brainer. I think they've got the no-brain part right. <laughs> um, and good riddance to bad rubbish. Yep. Paul? Yeah, um, not much to add, to be honest. Uh, thank you for having me on the first show. Uh, good to be um, on. And yeah, looking forward to the weekend. And uh, bit of rugby, well, no rugby this weekend. So just, just stick to footy this weekend. So yeah, looking forward to it. Oh yeah, Scotland's in charging up for the Grand Slam, right? It's Scotland versus Ireland. Well, Russell. <laughs> look, you know, I've watched Scottish rugby for a long time and um, was it something like 27 years since we won the first two matches in the tournament? So it, was, it wasn't even the Six Nations the last time we won the first two matches. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The, na- the, na- the natural, the natural uh, Scottish excitement will have us winning the Grand Slam and I must admit it did briefly cross my mind, but I then watched the Ireland-France game and thought both of those teams could give us a doing. So um, yeah. I, we'll wait and see. You can probably expect us to... Uh, to beat France and then trip ourselves up on, on Italy, potentially. So, um, <laughs> yeah, when I seen when I seen with one thirty five seven, I was like, oh, I thought we were playing Italy later, and then it's Wales. I was like, all right, okay. But yeah, I, I think, think last last year yeah. Ireland and France were better. I think we'll probably finish behind them again. Uh, one final thing from me is that uh, if anyone may or may not have seen it last night slash this morning, Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl on a dodgy refereeing decision. So it's not just Scottish football. <laughs> Check it out if you want. But other than that, uh, take care. Good night. Good morning, wherever you're listening from. Good afternoon. Uh, hail, hail. And we'll see you next week. Hail, hail. Hail, hail.